Uh, we are going through the book of Acts together, and this week we are in Acts chapter 19. We're going to be looking at Paul's travel to, uh, to Ephesus, um, Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 20. Um, one of the really interesting things as I was reading this week, getting ready for this morning, uh, is that this trip to Ephesus uh, was stopped by the Holy Spirit the first time that Paul tried to um, to go there. In chapter 16, verse 6, it says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, Ephesus, I know, isn't mentioned specifically right there, uh, but it is a really safe assumption that Paul would have stopped in Ephesus because Ephesus is such a major city and, and prominent. It was the uh, capital city of, of the Roman Empire in that re region of Asia Minor. Uh, and so that would have been Paul's plan. And the Holy Spirit stopped Paul and his crew from going there in chapter 16. Now in chapter 19, that, that's where we find them going. Now we don't have any idea why the Holy Spirit stopped them the first time, um, but this second time uh, they make it there and, and, and we get to see a glimpse of what I am calling Pentecost Part 3. Um, not only does the Holy Spirit not stop them in, in their travels this time, but the Holy Spirit shows up in a, a mighty and incredible way in, in Ephesus, and um, that's what we're going to be talking about for the next two weeks, right? Th this is when Christianity really takes root uh, in Ephesus, and all of Ephesus is changed. And so this morning, and, and I'm calling it Pentecost 3, but we're really looking at uh, how the, the gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit, changed the lives of the people in Ephesus. And then next week, we're going to pick up on those next verses and talk about how uh, the Holy Spirit, the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit, changed the entire culture um, of the city. So that's where we're going to be today and next week. Uh, I want us to pray this morning together as we do every week at this time. Um, and I ask if you would pray with me. Let's pray that God would be good to, um, to teach us this morning. Uh, we need the Holy Spirit to convict us where that's needed in our lives, to point out um, where we need God to do a work, where we need to repent. We also need the Holy Spirit to encourage us and to encourage us in, in who He is, to encourage us in what God's done for us, to encourage us, I think, this morning in all of the possibilities that, that God has before us, but we'll get there. So um, let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Yeah, good. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can come and pray together. Thank you that you, you hear our prayers. Uh, Father, we pray together that your Holy Spirit would be, would be great in this place this morning, uh, that you would do, Holy Spirit, all the things that Jesus said you would do when you come, that you would convict us of sin in our lives and that you would convict us of what is good and holy and righteous. Uh, that you would bring conviction that would shape us more and more into the image of, of Jesus, that would bring true repentance to our lives, that you would encourage us, encourage us uh, in who Jesus is, encourage us in the beautiful gift, Holy Spirit, that you are to us. Encourage us this morning in um, this, this incredible picture that we see of your work in Ephesus, and help us today uh, to know that th this is... This is real. 
This is not beyond you and your power, your ability, even today. Uh, encourage us. We, we, we need it. We need you. Uh, Holy Spirit, shape us into the image of Jesus. Help New City to be the church that you desire us to be. Uh, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's start. Chapter 19, we'll read the first seven verses, and, and then we'll get rolling. Uh, verse 1, chapter 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So, I, I want to start in those verses with this, the gospel and a new baptism. So, our verses this morning give us an opportunity to, um, to talk about some of our beliefs here at New City, and so I want to teach those who may be new what some of those beliefs are as we go through this, and, and this is one of them, the gospel and a new baptism. So, to help us understand what's happening here, because these guys were uh, they were already disciples. They were disciples of John. They were baptized, um, likely by John or one of his other disciples. Um, but I, I want us to understand why they were being baptized again and what was happening here uh, with them and with Paul. And for us to understand that, we need to take a step back and look at this in relation to uh, something that we talk about a lot here at New City, and that's God's big story, right? What's happening in the book of Acts is a part of the bigger story of, of God. The, the book of Acts is a transitional moment in God's story. I call it a moment. It really happened over years. Um, the, the book of Acts unfolds over years. Um, but it's a transitional period, and we need to understand what this transition was. So before Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, before the book of Acts, um, the, 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 the Jewish people, the Hebrews, uh, had a covenant with God, the old covenant. Um, this covenant was made between God and this national people, the Hebrew people. Uh, and, and it was um, a covenant that others outside of the nation could come into, but they had to be adopted into the nation of Israel. So it was a national covenant made between God and Israel. So we now live on the other side of the life, death, and resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. We live in the new covenant. There is a new covenant that God has made um, through Jesus, and, and all believers, anyone, no matter um, race, no matter nationality, n n none of that matters. Uh, there is a new covenant that is made with all believers, no longer a national covenant, a covenant that's made in the blood of Christ. So the, the, the Old Testament was a part of that Old Covenant. In fact, that's what Old Testament means, is Old Covenant. This was the covenant that God had made with His people. It includes all of the law and all of the prophets as well. 
the covenant, the old covenant, sometimes we think about it being the law. Oftentimes we think about just the Ten Commandments, right? But it was more than that. It wasn't just about rules to be followed or laws to be kept. The old covenant was about promises to be believed. It was filled with the promises of God, the promises that God was making to His, to his people. Now, in order during the Old Covenant for a person, and this is an area that sometimes we get confused with as well, in order for a person to be what we would say is saved today, you weren't saved just because you were born a Hebrew. Your nationality didn't save you. In the Old Covenant, it was similar in this with the New Covenant. It was faith. It is faith that was granted as righteousness to Abraham. So the faith in the Old Covenant, which is where I want to get, the faith in the Old Covenant was a general faith in the promises of God, right? That God was who He was and that God would do the things that He said that He would do. It was a faith that God would ultimately provide a Savior who would forgive Israel uh, of her sins, who would right all of the brokenness caused by sin, who would defeat Israel's enemies, and, and that God would, through this Savior, um, make for himself a people and a kingdom. So it was a general belief in those promises. God was going to do these things. God was going to send a Savior, a Messiah. But now, now, Faith is not a general faith. A, a, great, a great place to read about this is Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Faith is no longer this general faith of God will one day do these things. It is now lasered in to the fact that God has done this. God has sent His Savior, the promised one. He has already come, and His name is Jesus. Right? So the old covenant, this broad faith, God is God and he will do the things that he said that he would do. The, the new covenant faith is faith that is laser focused in one place. And that is that God has fulfilled the law and the prophets and all of his promises in one place. That promised Messiah and his name is Jesus. Specific faith in the Messiah who has come. Now, there was prophecy, and that prophecy has been fulfilled in him. There were promises, and those promises were and are being fulfilled in him. So the focus is on Jesus. John the Baptist and his disciples were still under the old covenant. They were still living under the old covenant that God was sending a Savior. The Savior would come and He would take care of these things. So from John the Baptist all the way through even to this point in our story, there is a period of transition where those people who lived under the old covenant are being moved into the new covenant where they're being moved from this general, broad faith of God will do to this focused faith of God has done, and God has done this in Jesus. So Paul runs into these disciples. They were disciples of John, and he asked them, Have you received the Holy Spirit? And they look at John, and they're like, We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Now, I want to explain that to you because they did know there was a Holy Spirit. It, it, it's, it's filled in the... Old Testament, but what they mean by that most likely was that they didn't know that the Holy Spirit had come to believers. They didn't know that the presence of the Holy Spirit would now be with them as followers of Jesus. So 
Paul asked them then, into what were you baptized? And they say, we were baptized into John's baptism. So John's baptism was under that old covenant that was made, and his baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was an acknowledgement by God's people that they had not kept the law. That's what they were saying, right? A symbolic cleansing, this public proclamation um, by someone, the person being baptized, that they were turning from sin and turning back to God. Old Testament cleansing, Old Covenant cleansing, what they were saying is, God, I have not kept your laws, and I am sorry that I have not kept your laws, and I want to keep your laws, so I am being baptized as this proclamation and this ceremonial cleansing, and and I will follow your laws. Paul says, aha, right? That's, That's what was behind. They were baptized into the baptism of John. Paul says, aha, let me tell you the rest of the story. Right? And so there, Paul shares the story of Jesus, right? That Jesus is the one who was promised. That, 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 that John talked about the one who would come after him, and Jesus was the one who had, who had indeed come after him. Prophecy had been fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Here, Paul is saying, is the good news. Here is the gospel. Here is the rest of the story that you did not know. That your sins are forgiven in Christ. That you are made holy because of Jesus. That you are now reconciled with God the Father in Him. And Jesus, who was crucified and raised from the death, Paul would have told them, this Jesus is one day returning, and when He returns, He will come back to fully and finally establish the kingdom of God that you have been waiting for. Well, they believed. Right? These guys who had been baptized and who had been looking forward to the coming Messiah, they hear Paul say, the Messiah has come, his name is Jesus, and they believe. And they are baptized then, not in John's baptism, they are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus had prescribed. So that's what was happening, right? Transition period. Let me share with you, because we have the opportunity, a few things about baptism that we believe here at New City. Um, While John's baptism was one for remission of sins related to the old covenant, Jesus instituted this new baptism in uh, Matthew 28, 19 in the Great Commission, right? He said, as you go, make disciples, telling them who I am, right? baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. Jesus is saying there, as you go, disciples, and you are making new disciples, followers of Jesus, baptize these new followers of Jesus in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so what we see um, that, that, that follows in the book of Acts is what we call believer's baptism. People believed, and then they were baptized, right? So um, nothing against what, what others believe. Don't hear me saying that this morning. That's why we don't baptize infants here, because we believe in believers' baptism. When, when someone comes to faith, when they hear the gospel and they believe the gospel, then what we see in Scripture is that what follows is baptism. Believe and be baptized. That's believer's baptism. That's what we practice at New City. 
Now, some other things. Baptism doesn't save us. Some people believe that you have to be baptized in order to, to be saved. We don't believe that. Baptism doesn't save us. Baptism doesn't cleanse us. What saves us is Jesus. His life, His death, His resurrection. What cleanses us is the blood of Jesus applied to our lives. Baptism doesn't do that. Baptism is a public profession of faith, right? And so that's why at New City, like, so, so let me say this. When, when baptism started in this way with Jesus and, and into Acts, um, there weren't a lot of places that had running water, right? I mean, so you couldn't be baptized anywhere. You had to go to where the water was to be baptized, and usually that was a public place. And so what happened when you were baptized in one of those places, you were making a public profession of faith. You were saying to everyone who had gathered at the watering hole, you were saying to all of them, right? In John's case, you were saying, I am a sinner, I have not kept the law, and I want to say I'm sorry for that and begin to keep the law. With Jesus now, this new baptism that Jesus has instituted, it is saying to those who have gathered, as you are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is you saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. I am a believer. I trust in Him. It is a public profession of your faith. And so that's why at New City, when we have baptism, we encourage those who are being baptized, invite the world. Right? Invite your family, invite your friends, invite your classmates, invite whoever you can invite to come and, and see and hear this, this, this public profession of faith that you are making. And to hear us as we celebrate that and celebrate the gospel. So baptism is a public profession of faith. Baptism is, is highly symbolic. Romans 6 tells us that in baptism we are united with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. A beautiful passage. We are buried with him in death. We are raised with him to a newness of, of, of life. We are with him in that way, in the, in the baptismal waters. We are, we are with him. We join him. It is, it is as if we are dying, right? When we are immersed and go underwater, it is, it is a picture of our own death and being buried with him. And when we come up out of the water, it is like for us being revived. It, it, it is for us as if we have become those new creatures that Paul talks about, new creations raised with Jesus in his death and now in his resurrection. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of the newness of life that is ours, right? Even the ceremonial cleansing, the waters ceremonially cleansing us. We, we come up from those waters, new creations, clean and pure and holy and spotless. And again, it's not because of the water. It's because of Jesus. And, and this is just a picture, a symbolic picture of us. Baptism, as we see it, is also a huge step of faithful obedience. Jesus told his disciples, right, baptize believers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The pattern that we see after the Great Commission in Matthew 28 is that the disciples did that. They would go and share the gospel with people, and when people believed the gospel, believed who Jesus was and what he had done, those people would then be baptized. You, you remember the Ethiopian eunuch saying, well, what is there to stop me from being baptized right now? And so they found some water and baptized him right then. 
That, that is faithful obedience. That is the Ethiopian eunuch. That is these other people who are, are, are believing the words of Jesus and they want to faithfully obey. Jesus said that I should be baptized. Baptized believers in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Good enough for me. I want to be baptized. One theologian that I was reading this week commented um, from church history and from Scripture saying that it, it would have been completely unheard of in these first churches, these first hundred years or so of the church, that someone would believe the gospel and not be baptized. Like, like now, we, we sometimes view it as just sort of an optional thing. Well, I can be baptized or not. I don't know if I want to. This was a faithful step of obedience. This was a, a public profession of faith. This was faithfully following Jesus who said, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, um, what we see in this first part is this transition or a continuation of the transition that really started with the um, resurrection of Jesus and then His ascension. Um, this continued transition from the old covenant to the new covenant in Christ's blood. And this was a transition that involved the Jews and now the church. Um, that's what we see, moving from this faith in general to this specific faith in Jesus and what he's done. So another part of the transition, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was a new presence for God's people. So the Holy Spirit, a new presence. Um, we believe at New City that God, the God of the Bible, is one. That's what the Bible says, um, that God is one. But He exists eternally uh, as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, eternally, eternally, one God, and eternally, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's okay if you don't get that. Um, we accept it by faith, right? I mean, there's, there's only so much of that we can explain. It's what the Bible says. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was present. Like sometimes we overlook that. The Holy Spirit was there at creation, hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit is there throughout the Old Testament with God's people. The Holy Spirit was then, is now, God's presence with His people. Now, in the Old Testament, it was, it was different. In the Old Testament, the way that we see the Holy Spirit working is that the Holy Spirit would come to God's people. He would indwell specific people for a, a specific time in order to accomplish some specific thing. Like, for example, when Saul became king, the Holy Spirit indwelt Saul to empower Saul and enable him to be a good king. Saul did not submit himself to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit left Saul, right? Holy Spirit came to do a task. Holy Spirit left. We see it as well. We see it in other places, but we also see it, uh, the place that, one of the places I love uh, the most is the craftsmen who constructed the, the tabernacle. Um, when they were getting ready, like that was going to be God's dwelling place, Holy Spirit would live there and camp out with the people of Israel. Um, the, the, the craftsmen who built that were indwelt by the Holy Spirit, enabled to create something that otherwise they would not have been able to create. Right? And so literally, um, the, the, the things that they made, what they built, what, what was literally divine. Like it was, it was empowered by God himself. It was more beautiful than they could have made themselves. It was better craftsmanship than they could have made themselves. The Holy Spirit came, enabled them, and then the Holy Spirit left them. 
That's the way the Spirit worked in the Old Testament. Specific people for a specific time to accomplish a specific person. That changes in the New Testament, right? This is a part of that transition. Jesus, in John 15 and John 16, promised his disciples um, that when he left, he was going to send another, one like him, a helper who would be with them. In fact, what blows my mind about it is Jesus said to them, it's better that I leave you. Can you imagine that? Like, I think, what could be better than Jesus being right there with you? I have an answer. It's the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples, it's better that I leave you. It's better that I go away from you. Because when I leave, I'm going to send another like me. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he will indwell you. He will be in you and he will be with you until the day of your redemption. That's what he promised. And so when we come to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. When Pentecost happens, Holy Spirit comes. Just That's what Jesus promised. Holy Spirit is coming. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and He's going to come with power. Holy Spirit came, and He came with great power. They saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove. The room was filled with the the rushing sound of, of, of thunder. It was so loud that people outside of the room, down the street, heard it. The Holy Spirit was there. Suddenly, they're filled with the Spirit, and they begin prophesying and speaking in tongues. Undeniably, the Holy Spirit had come, just like Jesus said. This happened again with Cornelius, um, when, when Cornelius and his family heard the gospel. I called this, when we were going through it, Pentecost 2. Like, this, is, this was something similar to what happened at Pentecost. So, at Pentecost 2 with Cornelius, Peter goes and he's talking to Cornelius. House is packed. There's all these people because they've come to hear what Peter has to say. Peter is preaching probably his finest sermon ever, right? He's preaching. He doesn't even get to finish. In the middle of his sermon, the people believed the gospel. And as soon as they believed the gospel, the Holy Spirit drops in, just like with Pentecost, with great power. Suddenly, the room is filled undeniably with the Holy Spirit. And the people in the room begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. Incredible. The the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 1 that every single believer, all of us, this means you if you are a believer, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you trust in him, every believer receives the Holy Spirit the moment that they believe. And in that moment of belief, they are sealed in the Holy Spirit as God's, marked as his, protected as his, until the day of their redemption. That's you. This Holy Spirit that Jesus promised, that dropped in in Acts chapter 2, that we see with Cornelius, that we're talking about here um, with the church in Ephesus, that Holy Spirit indwells you. That is God with you, God with us, God in you until the day of your redemption. That's what we're seeing here in Ephesus. It's all in accordance with the promises of Jesus that he made in in John 15 and John 16. But here's the thing, and here's the question we have to answer with this. Why did this one look different, right? Why did it happen differently here? So with with both Acts chapter 2, when they were praying, the Holy Spirit came. And then when we come to Cornelius, while Peter was preaching, the Holy Spirit came. But here, Paul had to lay hands on them before the Holy Spirit came. Why do we see it happening that way? Now, some people uh, want to make this normative, meaning they want to make this the norm. 
if somebody didn't lay hands on you and uh, commission the Holy Spirit to you or you to the Holy Spirit or whatever, um, then you didn't receive the Holy Spirit in all the fullness. Uh, if, if, if you didn't receive the Holy Spirit like they did here with the laying on of hands and that wasn't followed up with prophesying in tongues, then you must not have the same Holy Spirit filling you that other believers like me have, someone might say. Well, I don't believe any of that. I don't believe any of that because that's not what we see as normative in Scripture. That's not what we see in the book of Acts. Sometimes it happened that way, right? We're reading about it here. That Paul had to lay hands on them before they received the Holy Spirit. But we've already seen in two other places that that isn't the way the Holy Spirit came. Right? So it's not normative for it to happen that way. So why then did it happen that way? Here's my answer to that. I know you were dying to hear it. Because Acts is transitional. Because Acts is a transitional period of time when they were moving from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And, and these guys, these guys were a part of the Old Covenant. The conveyance of the Holy Spirit through Paul in this way, it, it, it confirms the apostleship that has been given to Paul. It confirms with these men who, who knew Judaism, who knew the promise and, and, and believed that the Savior was coming. It confirms that, that this apostle Paul now comes not only as a legitimate apostle, but also with a true and genuine message from God himself. The good news of the gospel is true. And all of these events confirm who Paul is. He's an apostle. It confirms his authority. It confirms the message that he brings. Tongues and prophecy confirm the gospel message to them. It even confirmed the good news of the Holy Spirit, right? That they had received indeed the Holy Spirit. So now believing like they are 100% um, the message is confirmed. Believing these 12 men begin to proclaim that gospel message themselves. And some in church history say these men served a a as the foundation for the church in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus was a big deal. So this happened in this way to signify for them during this transitional period that the gospel message is real. That the Messiah has indeed come and that God is with us now by His Holy Spirit, a gift to all believers. He is with us, empowering us, enabling us for the work that He calls us to and for this mission that He has called all of us to as well. So, um, what do we see? A, a, a new baptism, a new presence, the Holy Spirit with us, also a new power. And again, this is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, a new power. Um, healing, prophecy, discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and a whole list of other things. Those are all described in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul primarily as spiritual gifts. And, and what we learn about the spiritual gifts is all believers receive a, a, at least a spiritual gift. Now the truth is the real spiritual gift is the Holy Spirit himself. And every believer receives the Holy Spirit. These things that we call spiritual gifts that are, that are given to us for the good of the body, for the growth of the kingdom itself, the, the, the Spirit is the gift. What we call the gifts are really manifestations of the Spirit who is in us. This is just the Spirit manifesting Himself through us to other people um, that He is present with us. 
God himself working in us and through us, right? Manifestation of the Spirit. So look with me at verse 11. It says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them. So they fled out of that house naked and wounded. What a picture. So we don't have time to dig into this a whole lot. I'll go through it pretty quickly here. Um, if, if we did dig into it, what we would see is that many of the diseased and sick people were being healed. And we have this, this idea. Um, do you remember when the woman touched just the, the robe of Jesus and she was healed? That story? Th- this is what's happening here. Only it's happening with Paul, right? They're talking about these handkerchiefs and other things that had been on Paul or that had, that had touched Paul. Through, through that, others were being healed. Same thing was taking place with them as when Jesus was alive and he was doing healings there. L- let me say this about that. Jesus himself did not take credit for those healings. Jesus said it is the Holy Spirit working through him that heals. That's why we see the same thing happening with Paul, because it wasn't Paul and the power of Paul. It was the Holy Spirit in Paul who was doing the healing. Are you with me? That's why we can see the same thing happening with the Apostle Paul. The power of God himself, the Holy Spirit, just as he indwelt Jesus, was now indwelling Paul and those other disciples as well. So not only do we see those healings, but we see this demonic activity and possession. So there were these guys, the seven sons of Sceva. They were sons of a Jewish high priest. This is how they were making money. They were casting out demons. And and so the seven sons of Sceva casting out demons, they see what Paul is doing. And it is incredible, right? It's incredible what's happening, and everybody's watching it. And so they say... Well, if Paul can do that, we can do that as well. And so what they're saying is, we command you by the Jesus that Paul proclaims, demons come out. We, 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 we adjure you in the name of Paul's Jesus, you, you come out. In the name of this Jesus that we don't know, right? I mean, that's, that's what I'm getting at. They had no idea who Jesus was. For them, they, they, they saw an incantation from Paul. Oh, we can copy that. If we just say that we're doing this in the name of Jesus, say the right thing, do things in the right order, and we can do what Paul is doing. These guys weren't believers. And what that means is that, that, that they had no relationship with Jesus. They had no relationship with the Father. Hear me. They had no relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so they thought just by saying things the right way and doing things in the right order, they could do what Paul was doing. Let me say that differently. They could do what the Holy Spirit was doing through Paul. They were wrong. (laughs) And they learned that, right? They go to this man and they say, in the name of Paul's Jesus, I'm casting you out. And the demon inside the man said, look, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize. 
Who the heck are you guys? And then the demon-possessed man, empowered by this evil spirit, jumped seven other men, whipped their tails, stripped them naked, and sent them running. That is quite a story, isn't it? Evil spirit overpowering seven men. This one man overpowered seven men and sent them wounded and naked running. See, Paul had something that they didn't have. Paul had the Spirit of God, just like Jesus. And, and, and here's the thing, right? That Holy Spirit that indwelt Jesus, that empowered Jesus for all of those healings, that Holy Spirit that indwelt Paul and was doing this incredible work, casting out demons and healing the sick, y'all, that's the same Holy Spirit that indwells you. It wasn't that Paul was special. It was the power of the Spirit. It was the power of the Spirit indwelling Paul, indwelling those disciples. That's what the seven sons lacked. Y'all, that's what you have as a follower of Jesus. We are all indwelt as believers by this Holy Spirit and we are gifted to serve and to build up the body and to carry on the mission, to do what God has called us to do. And maybe that is to overcome demons. Maybe, maybe it's to overcome those reluctant sins in your life that you can't seem to shake. Maybe it's to overcome addiction. Maybe it's the power of the Holy Spirit shaping you into the image of Jesus that allows you to love your neighbor as yourself. To be patient. To be kind. To be the person that God has made you to be. To live the life that God has called you to live. So let me... Let me put this together for now. These disciples of John, they heard the gospel. They became disciples of Jesus rather than disciples of John. They were then baptized as believers, and you should be as well. It's a step of faithful obedience. Paul laid hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit that you and I received when we became believers God made himself known. He made himself known to them. Uh, they prophesied. They spoke in tongues. This was a part of that transitional time that I was, that I was talking about and the transitional nature of the book of Acts. The, the apostle Paul was confirmed. Uh, the gospel that he proclaimed was affirmed. And, and, and it all ushered in with certainty this new covenant that was not based in the law, but this new covenant that is based in the blood of Jesus, this new covenant that is made for us in and through Him. When we become believers, praise God, we receive that same Holy Spirit that they did. And, and, and God is with us through His Spirit, indwelling us until the day that we are redeemed, working in us, equipping us, enabling us, and, and as we saw in this section, gifting and empowering us. So now let me talk, I, I'll do this quickly, about the results of that. What happened as a result of all of that? Changed lives. The gospel transforms. 
What we see following has changed lives. Look at verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. That is a lot of pieces of silver, isn't it? 50,000. Now listen, not everyone in Ephesus was, was changed. We'll see that especially next week. Not everyone who hears the gospel, even when it is accompanied with these great works, not everyone who sees those great works, the power of God at work in the Spirit, and hears the gospel, not everyone who experiences that will believe. But many, many heard the gospel and they saw the power of the Spirit and they believed. And seeing the power of the Spirit in those who, who followed Jesus, they were gripped with fear. That's the image that we have. They are gripped with fear. Fear in this sense of awe and reverence and respect for the God who created the universe. Awe came over them. Fear came over them. Believers and unbelievers alike. And they come together in, in awe and seeing this. And they are confessing their sins to one another. They, they, they see the power of God, they hear the gospel message, and, and they come together in awe of God, confessing their sins to one another. Uh, Boyce, one of, the, one of the people that I was reading on this, says that when, when Luke says that they were divulging their practices, um, their witchcraft, this, this, this meant that they were telling to confessing not only their sins, but they were telling others the secrets of their magic. They were telling others the secrets of their spell. This was believed, and it would have happened in two ways. Like one, if I tell you the magic trick, you never believe in the magic anymore, right? When I tell you how I'm doing the card trick, it's not any fun anymore. So when they are divulging the secrets of their magic, they're telling all the people around them, man, this is how I did that. And so by divulging the secrets of their magic, what they're doing is throwing their magic away. They, they, they can never go back to it. They're done with it. They're burning that bridge. Nothing to go back to. In addition, it says that they were, they were bringing their books, their scrolls, all of their magic, their magic spells, and they're burning them in the sight of all. Right, the, 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 the total amount was, was 50,000 pieces of silver. That is a lot. That's, that's the value of what they were burning. And, and so this was a, a huge fire. They're burning these things in the sight of all. The gospel message empowered by the, the presence of the Holy Spirit was transforming the people of Ephesus. Their lives were being changed completely. Y'all, what we see in them in this moment is, 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 is a picture of genuine repentance. Like we, we talk about repenting every week here at the end of the service, right? If there's been conviction of your life, repent of that and turn to Him. This is a picture of repentance. It is leaving those sinful things. It is doing away. It's turning your back on them and turning to the Lord. That's what they were doing. They were confessing their sins to one another. They were, they were, they were turning from their sin, turning from 
their idols, turning to Jesus. And their turning in this was like all in. They were 100% in. They burned their magic tricks. They told people their secrets. They had nothing to go back to. That's repentance. Repentance isn't just feeling bad. It's like saying, I'm done with that. And I'm turning my back on that, and I'm, I'm turning to Jesus. They literally burned the things that would tie them to their former lives. Think about it. it, it this isn't just books. This was, this was their life. This was, this was their lifestyle. This was a part of the, the culture of Ephesus, and they're burning it. This was a part of, of, of their culture. It was their circle. It was their, it was their friends. It was the people they associated with. Maybe it was their own family members. That's what they were burning. I'm done with that. I'm following Jesus. It, it, was, it was finding a new hope, a, a, a hope and a confidence in the promises of God, in, in the work of Jesus, in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, not, not in evil and magic. Like This wasn't just some silly Christian bonfire. This is beautiful. It's new life. It's a picture of, of, of the gospel at work transforming lives. And think about this too, right? Individuals change. Right? I mean, people brought their, their books, their scrolls. People confessed their sin. Obviously, individuals were, were changed. The entire direction and course of their lives was changed by the gospel message empowered by the Spirit. But it was more than that. It was the lives of their children. Their children who were being raised in, 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 in magic and spells. No more. It, it, was, it was their family members. It, it, was, it was their friends. Like, like the, the ripple effects of what was happening here as the gospel went out from them, as their life was, was transformed tangibly by their faith in the gospel, the ripple effects moving from house to house and generation to generation, the gospel transforming, transforming, transforming. And verse 20 says, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And, and, and when Luke uses the word of the Lord there, he doesn't mean the Bible he means the gospel. The gospel. The name of the Lord became greatly praised, verse 17. The people, believers, unbelievers, in awe of our mighty God. Believers re re repenting of their sin, turning to Jesus. And the word of the Lord, the gospel message, increasing and prevailing mightily. I don't know if you can tell, this story fires me up. Like, this really excites me, and I, I, I want to tell you why. I tell you, sometimes I feel like a fool up here. I get so excited about this. This happened. Like, that's what's so incredible about this. This happened. This isn't a fairy tale. 
It's, it's not just some made-up story. This happened, like, like Pentecost 3. This happened, an incredible move of the Spirit. His presence, undeniable. Lives changed for generations. The gospel transforming lives. The gospel transforming families on an incredible scale. It happened. And, and, and I think when I read this, why not now? If, if this is more than a story and a fairy tale, if God really did this by the power of the Holy Spirit, why not now? God, God why can't we see this now? Why not now, Lord? You, you, you've done this before, not just, not just here in the book of Acts. You've done it throughout history. You've done it time and time and time again. We could see this now. Why not now? Can you imagine it? I tell you all, all the time going through Acts, I have a, a great imagination. I, I can imagine this. And that's why I get excited. Why not now? So I thought about this, and, and, and here's a couple of things that came to mind. Um, like, why not now? What, what, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? How can we see this? The, the first thing that came to mind for me, um, and, and for our notes, I think we've got it up there uh, as an application, that people were faithful to share the gospel. So I, 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 I want to change that. To faithful obedience. Like, what, what, do we, what do we need? We need faithful obedience. It's not just in, in sharing the gospel. It's just faithful obedience to Jesus. What, what, what do we need in order to see God work in this incredible way? What we saw in those people was faithful obedience. Here's what I mean. When those 12 guys heard there is a new baptism in the Holy Spirit, and, and the Holy Spirit came, they didn't say, well, you know, I'm, I don't really want people to see me get baptized. I am a little self-conscious. People didn't say, I've got a, I am not making light of anybody. Don't take it that way. Here's, here's where I'm going with this. They just said yes. Right? Jesus, Jesus said we should be baptized. I'm getting baptized. Jesus said we should be missionaries. Then I'm going to be a missionary and I'm going to tell people about Jesus. Jesus said we should live as family. Then you know what? It might be hard, but we're going to live as family. Jesus said I'm a servant, so I should be serving everywhere that I go. You know what faithful obedience is? Then I'm going to become a servant by the grace of God. Jesus said it. I'm doing it. That's faithful obedience. That's what we see. We, 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 we see a people who believed who Jesus was and what he had done, and they just said, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in for baptism. I'm in for sharing the gospel. I am in. Faithful obedience. Here's another thing that we need to see. We need the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. We need the, the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit because that, that's what happened. They were, they were faithful. They were obedient, right? Faithfully obedient they were, but it was the Holy Spirit who did the work. I mean, just like I said with Paul, it wasn't his handkerchief. It was a handkerchief. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the presence of God with his people. Now, now here's what I'm saying in that, right? We are all, as believers, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us every day. Holy Spirit is with you every day. When we gather together here on a Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit is here. 
It is a beautiful thing. Holy Spirit is always... I, I am saying that there, is, there, there are times when the Holy Spirit does more than that. There are times when the Holy Spirit, it, it, there's just an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There are times when, when, when tongues descend in a visible form, that's the Holy Spirit coming, and the room fills with thunder. There, there are times when the Holy Spirit is so present that no one can deny that God is there. There are times in history when God does things that no man can take credit for. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Now, here's the thing. We, 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 we can't make that happen. We, we, can't, we can't make that happen, but what we can do is pray for it. What we can do is, is, is diligently pray for the Holy Spirit to do that kind of work. To not be satisfied, even with the good. Be thankful for it. God, I want to see more. I want to, I want to see your Spirit do what only your Spirit can do. I, I, want to see, I want to see lives transformed, families transformed. I, I, want, to see, I want to see not enough Sundays, not enough time to baptize all the people who are coming to believe in Jesus. Just, I, I want to see families restored. I want to see families changed. I, I want to see a city transformed and beyond. I want to see you do, God, what only you can do. What we can do is pray that. What we can do is, is ask and keep asking like Jesus said. Ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking. And who knows? Maybe God would say yes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for, um, for this glimpse of what it looks like when your spirit is mighty undeniably mighty. Father, that's what we want to see. Not for, not, for, not for our glory, not for the glory of New City. In fact, we want it to be so amazing and so huge that we couldn't take any credit for it. We don't want to just see it here at New City. We want to see it across our city. Dying churches revived and filled. I'm going to knock and keep knocking. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.